Welcome to another Tuesday morning with Justin. Healthcare, leadership, and life. I'm Justin Futrell, Benefit Advisor at True North Companies. Today, you are in for a treat. We have Frank Panaccio, a practice leader at Resource Pro Growth Solutions. Let me tell you, we started today's conversation. Frank said, Justin, are we going to be on video? Well, it's an audio recording, but yeah, we'll take a video and I'll post a couple of clips on LinkedIn. He said, okay, well, my grandson, he just said, Grandpa, I can't believe how big your nose is. (laughs) Oh, man, Frank always brings the energy and uh, entertainment. Frank has more than 30 years of experience in the insurance industry and as an agency owner and producer. In 2009, he sold his agency and co-founded Oceanus Partners, now acquired by Resource Pro, with his partner, Susan Toussaint. He's a full-time trainer and consultant to independent insurance agents, brokers, and insurance carriers. It's easy to say that Frank is recognized as a thought leader. He has articles nationally and regionally published, as well as regularly speaking at conferences. While speaking, as you'll hear today, he generally endeavors to educate, entertain, and provoke his audiences to think in a new way about emerging challenges. If you listen to today's conversation, you might want to share it with one of the leaders in your company, whether that be the CFO or the HR leader on your team. Definitely encourage people to reflect on today's conversation and review things with their broker or reach out to myself for a thorough due diligence process. All right, gang, (laughs) let's jump in. Well, when I was thinking about it this morning, I think the best place to start is a quote that I I took from one of the classes you taught. (laughs) Frank is nervous, everyone. You can't see it, but he's like, oh dear. (laughs) So a quote I have is, Read the daggum contract. True. Very true. What, Frank, why might someone want to read a contract when it comes to the insurance world? Yeah, Justin, as, as you probably uh, have noticed in the time we've spent together, that's, uh, that's something that I feel that's what insurance brokers sell, whether it be group health, uh, property casualty with personal lines across the board. You know, you're in the benefit space, so your group health policy, the the self-funded stop-loss policy, um, that's what you sell. That's what your competitors sell. We sell contracts, not brochures, not proposals. As a matter of fact, what's typically in every proposal is that I'll paraphrase. Uh, It doesn't say it verbatim, like I'm about to say it, like don't pay any attention to this proposal. Go read the contracts or the dadgum contracts. So, and, and that's complex and that's difficult and it's challenging and, and all those things, which is, there's a lot of reasons why the majority of agents and brokers don't read the contracts. They're complicated. It's a whole lot easier to, to have a sales pitch around something that looks in a, like good in a fancy brochure or in a fancy proposal, but but ultimately, uh, the employer's uh, future is tied to what's in those contracts. Yeah. Hey, Frank, you, you talk about the contract. It's not a brochure. A lot of times insurance companies, 
they might not even give a copy of the contract until it's bound. How does that make sense? It doesn't. We've seen that and quite directly, Justin, and we're very early in our conversation. So I'm going to try to keep this thing tamped down a little bit. We can build, but uh, that's just simply unacceptable. I would go as far as saying it's likely against federal law. I mean, we have a federal law out there called ERISA. Well, that's the acronym for the Employer Retirement Income Security Act. It's been around since 1974. It's almost 50 years old. It, it creates the greatest responsibilities for an employer, more so than anything else they do. They their, their greatest responsibilities and therefore liabilities are to follow uh, ERISA because that's where uh, it is outlined what they have to do on behalf of their employees' benefit plans. And it's a serious matter. And they are considered fiduciaries. We'll probably talk about that a little bit later. But as a fiduciary of a benefit plan, uh, you have significant responsibilities and thus significant potential liabilities, including including not only your corporate assets, but under ERISA, the corporate veil could be pierced and personal assets could be attached. Yeah, I want to pause there because that's a huge emphasis with the passing of the CARES Act, the nearly thousand page document, something that a lot of decision makers aren't aware of is that there's a more expanded definition of what a fiduciary's responsibilities are. And more importantly, that it can go all the way to the fact of piercing the corporate veil and, and putting their personal assets at play. That's something that a lot of CFOs are not aware of that I've been talking with. And Frank, I think something interesting is historically, we think of the fiduciary uh, the the prudent decision maker in the company that's looking out for all the employees as the chief financial officer as the owner of the company but just recently i think 2 weeks ago an hr executive was found liable to breach their fiduciary duty so can you expand on how you've seen fiduciary responsibility evolve well, first and foremost, let's let's go to what the law says. The law says anyone, irrespective of title, titles don't matter. Anyone who is involved in selecting and managing an employee benefit plan that comes under ERISA, which is the medical, the 401k primarily, dental and vision, um, they're fiduciaries. So to your point, uh, it's not just the CFO and the CEO and who knows, maybe the COO, all the C-suite people, but the human resource people and and their staff people, if they're involved in the management. I mean, I work with people on my talent team in my company and everybody I talk to about my employee benefits, whether it be my 401k or my group health, they're acting as a fiduciary. They are fiduciaries. The challenge is they don't know it. Um, and they're not really well trained on, uh, or they possibly trained at all on what their duties are. Uh, the law is very clear. Now, granted, when we get into potential litigation and, and case law and the like, it could get a bit more complex. But there are duties. There are duties that fiduciaries must follow. Sometimes, on the surface, they appear simple. In practice, they're not always simple, and they, the the ramifications are are too serious to to ignore once someone begins to understand uh, that they've got a line by the tail in managing their employee benefits. 
So Frank, my head goes to, if, if there's so many leaders that are not aware of how serious this is, right? Their fiduciary responsibility. Who, whose job is it to inform them? Is it their own job to know? Is it a broker consultant like myself at True North? Who's responsible for helping them understand? Whose responsibility is it? Well, I'm biased on this question. I believe it is the agents and brokers' responsibilities. I, I think that, uh, but the training of agents and brokers has has let's just say, not been as robust as I would prefer. Mm-hmm. A lot of agents and brokers don't get enough training to pass a test. They pass a test, they're ready to sell insurance. Uh, maybe they do a little bit of continuing education, which has become just a, a race to the bottom and a joke. One time I met my continuing education requirements of 20 hours in about 50 minutes. It only took me 50 minutes to earn 20 hours of continuing education credits. It's it's And so- I do believe it is the broker who is responsible. I think that the employer expects that. Um, Now, sometimes they'll push back and they'll say, look, I'm very busy. I don't want to talk about all that. Just give me the best this or whatever. But we have to push back and help lead them, lead them to understand that they uh, have serious risks and potential liabilities that may not be on a radar screen at the very least. Let's discuss them so you can make intentional, intelligent decisions as to how or if whether you want to address them or not. But typically what we find is when people become aware, when the risks become illuminated, when the responsibilities become illuminated, they do want to address them and they they want to know, how do I do that? Right. And even um, even if they don't want to address everything, let's hypothetically say there's $1 million of risk that we find after going through a review with the company. They might want to transfer some of that risk. They might want to mitigate some of that risk in a different way. And, and maybe they do want to accept a sliver, but I bet it's I bet it's highly likely that everyone will appreciate being aware of the risk that they're being exposed to. Fair? Uh, that's the thing. That's that's what they want. And, and when they discover they're in harm's way, especially they have been unknowingly in harm's way. Um, and they've been fortunate to the point that nothing bad has happened yet. You know, without even putting a number on the risk, Justin, um, you and I have talked about this. There's only a handful of things we could do with risk. We can transfer it to an insurance company. We can reduce it as much as possible. We can try to avoid it. But when it comes to the topics we're talking about, you really can't avoid it. You need employee benefits to attract and retain talent. Uh, it's very, very difficult to do without offering your employee group health and possibly other employee benefits, depending upon, you know, the uh, the demographic of the company and their competitive positioning in the marketplace. So you really can't avoid the risks, but you can reduce them. And then, you know, if you purposefully and knowingly assume the risks, my, my big beef is people are assuming risks that they don't know they're assuming. They're, they actually assume, to overuse that word, that Either the risk doesn't exist or it's already picked up through another part of their insurance program, which is almost certainly not the case. So it's the it's the erroneous assumptions of I'm okay because nothing bad has happened. We all have that bias. Uh, We have a number of biases. One of them is the status quo bias. Things are always going to be as they've been. And I haven't had any problems. Nobody has sued me and and alleged uh, fiduciary malfeasance. Nobody has sued me. And or I haven't had an IRS audit or a DO Department of Labor audit. Um, 
then they've come in and said, well, we've discovered you've been mismanaging this. You owe your plan hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more. So yeah, we want to reduce the risks as much as possible, which first we have to become aware of them, transfer those that scare us if the premium, uh, the, the money that it costs to transfer it is, is uh, the right fit. And uh, where we can, although it's less likely in your field, Justin, people just can't avoid many of these risks. They offer employee benefits. You've got significant risks that arise out of them. Yeah, Frank, and I've heard several attorneys say with the CARES Act passing and these new fiduciary liabilities, it's the highest degree of law that fiduciaries face, um, which is extreme when you think about all the different facets of someone's company. So my head goes to, I want to educate people real quick. The Department of Labor, um, this is according to the FIA group, which they're experts in this world. The Department of Labor is planning to invest 10 times more money into investigations. And off the top of my head, I want to say there were 150 criminal investigations. um, And that was just through part of 2022. So it's certainly extreme. And your point of, you know, this is the way we've always done it is no longer the case. Because enter the pandemic, enter new federal legislation. How would that sound in the words of Griff, one of my leaders at True North? How would that sound in front of an independent third party judge? Exactly. And and yes, and what you've hit on, and look, I have some empathy for both employers and brokers because a number of new laws have come down the pike um, that recently. And, and new sets of guidelines. And then uh, I'm always cautious to mention this, uh, Justin, because we don't talk politics, we don't talk religion, we, we stay away from those topics. So this is not a political statement. But when the when the blue team is in the executive branch of our government, there was more inspections and audits. You can agree with that or disagree with that. I don't care. All I'm saying, it's just math. There's just more. So, yes, when the blue team, which is currently in the executive branch, more Department of Labor audits, more IRS audits, more OSHA for safety inspection audits, more, you know, go on down the list. Um, there's going to be certainly more more issues around uh, Florida, uh, not, not Florida, excuse me, the FLSA, the Fair Labor Standard Act, wage and hour issues get get uh, audited more. So, yes. And, and that's just a pendulum swing that we see. We are in, and if any, anybody listening to this can fire up their Google machine and verify whether we're accurate or not, because there are, there's an increase in audits and they can check it out. Yeah. Thanks for that, Frank. Um, I, I want to change gears here for a moment. And uh, <laughs> I read the Dagum contract. This is one of my current clients. This is a stop loss contract. And I want to share this with you to get your take because I found something, I highlighted it and I said, wait a minute, what? And so here it is. And for listeners who aren't aware, stop loss contract. Um, think if you have more than a, a couple hundred employees at your work, you're, you're probably self-funded, which is really just the way to say that your company is taking on some of the risk rather than giving it all to an insurance company. But the insurance company contract says on the limitations and exclusions page, we will not reimburse you for, and then item number 14 says, expenses incurred for any illness or injury due to or aggravated by war or an act of war, whether declared 
or undeclared. And I thought, wait a minute. If it's any injury or illness due to an act of war or whether it's declared or undeclared, and they get to decide, then what happens hypothetically if, if we're Ukraine and Russia dropped the bomb on us? Does that mean that they don't have to cover any of those injuries? That's what it says. Um, and and uh, that could even go to potential terrorist acts. Okay. What if, what if, uh, and we're really going down a rabbit hole if we're not careful here, uh, Justin, North Korea, Iran, Russia, there's a whole bunch of folks that um, quite possibly are, are, are rattling sabers. Um, and your example is, is, is one of many that that's probably one that I'm not dismissing the one you're sharing, but um, I've got my whole uh, dirty dozen list at a minimum that that really make me quake uh, even more so. Um, it was one. Far more likelihood of, uh, here's it. Okay, let me give you, let me give you an example. So and the issue about the stop loss, and again, keep in mind, it, it doesn't stand alone in isolation or in a vacuum. It's tied to, Two other minimum of two other contracts, a minimum of two other. That's the plan itself, the promise of benefits uh, and coverage to the employees themselves and the, and the claims administration contract. So, but let me just tie it right for this example to the plan. So I'm an employee. My plan says I've got all these various coverages and I'm, you know, going to cover this, going to cover that. But uh, in the event that I am in the uh, act of committing a felony, and I get injured or have injuries, um, the medical plan will not pay in the act if, if I'm, I need medical care due to my actions in the process of committing a felony. Okay, I, that, we can all defend that's a reasonable exclusion or limitation. But when we go to the stop loss policy, the stop loss policy will frequently say, we're not going to reimburse the employer, which is what that policy does. The employer has to pay the plan benefits, whether they get reimbursed or not. And the policy, the stop loss policy has terms and conditions and exclusions. And the one that I'm referencing now with this example that I've seen, the plan says felony, but the stop loss says we're not going to reimburse if you're in an act of committing an illegal act, really misdemeanor is an illegal act, perhaps failing to yield the right of way and you get hurt or, or perhaps, um, you know, uh, reckless driving or any misdemeanor where you get hurt. Well, the plan's going to pay. The plan, that's not a felony. That's a misdemeanor. The reimbursement, the stop loss carrier is going to say, au contraire, we're not reimbursing because they were injured in, in the in the action or committing an illegal act. And, and, and Justin, we could go down the list. Uh, we don't have enough time today. Your, your listeners probably would not want to hear all of them today. But there are many. There are many where this is what we get to. The employer, the plan sponsor, the owner, all the fiduciaries assume they're going to get reimbursed Mm -hmm. subject to specific and aggregate deductibles of their stop loss policy. And yes, they will most of the time until they don't. And when they don't, does that let them off the hook that they don't have to pay for the benefit that was promised their employee? No. Oh, and you don't have enough money in your company? Oh, okay, too bad. We're coming after your personal assets to pay. That's the way right. it works. That's the way it works. And that's federal law. 
of close to 50 years. Wow. And so let, let us illustrate a picture for people to understand the situation more. So maybe if we're driving, driving a car and not under the influence of alcohol, right? It's not a felony. We're just driving a normal okay. day. And then paint the rest of the picture on what a, a misdemeanor could look like. Yeah, I, I run a stop sign. I okay. hit somebody and I get hurt really badly. I'm the employee on this plan and I'm injured severely and I'm in ICU for weeks and ongoing medical treatment. And maybe it's even a seven figure medical bill could very well be. Well, my plan document says I'm covered for that. I wasn't in the act of committing a felony. I I may get charged with the misdemeanor failure to re-yield the right of way. Mm -hmm. Misdemeanor, especially if the other party doesn't get hurt really bad. And as you mentioned, not under the influence, but it's typically a misdemeanor. But it is an illegal act. So my plan is, my employer plan sponsor has to pay my medical benefits that were promised to me, but the reinsurance carrier now can say, well, that's all on you and your checkbooks. I say checkbooks because it'd be corporate and personal yeah. on you and your checkbooks, because we have an exclusion that says we're not going to reimburse in the event of a cause of loss arising from an illegal act. And, and this is why we have to align the plan with the stop loss. If something is being offered under the plan, it must be reimbursed under the stop loss. We can't have that out of alignment. And, and as you mentioned, these things are being sold and bound and they have never been read or even produced to be read, even provided. You and I both know that oftentimes carriers or managing general agencies or whatever you want to call them, uh, you know, people in companies producing these programs. And we're not opposed to these programs, Justin. We're not opposed. We're not saying these are bad things. We're saying the process in which they're being sold lack a ton of transparency, may not be a good fit for a lot of folks that are buying them, but not not everybody is is a good fit for any type of plan. So uh, we have to think about right fitness. We have to think about transparency. We have to think about knowingly assuming risks. And And that's the big challenge is that uh, a lot of this happens in total darkness, in total darkness. And the employer plan sponsor is not even given an opportunity to address these issues. Right. Right. And for our numbers, people out there, the situation that you created, we have an employee, they run through a red light, a stop sign, and they hurt Then maybe they hit someone, but in the accident, they, they really hurt themselves and they end up in intensive care. Maybe, right. it, maybe they end up in intensive care for two weeks with a bunch of surgeries, right? Let's right. just call it a $1.3 million claim when it's right. all said and done, which we're seeing more often um, with a million dollar claims. So if it's a $1.3 million claim, maybe you have car insurance. I think mine covers $300,000. So now that claim is $1 million. You're saying a company has a plan saying they will cover that person unless it's a felony. So their responsibility, they think they're assuming up to $100,000 of risk. And then anything above $100,000, that's covered and they'll be reimbursed by the stop loss insurance company. You're describing the specific deductible and how the policy typically works or is intended to work, right? Right. So specific deductible of $100,000, they're thinking we're reimbursed for anything over $100,000. In this case, there's still a million dollars outstanding. And they find out that the stop loss contract doesn't have to pay it because 
it was a criminal act, not just a felony. And so they have to not only pay 100,000, but $1 million right. for that health claim. Right. You're, you've described it very well, Justin, and, and what you've described is, is not um, in isolation. It's, it's one of many contractual issues that most plan sponsors on these types of plans are not aware. Uh, they're simply not aware of uh, that, that these risks. And, and oftentimes these plans are sold as, hey, there's no greater risk than fully insured because we have this stop loss policy. There's dramatic differences between a fully insured group health plan and a self-funded group health plan. And that's not to mean that one is good and one is bad. There's just pros and cons and ups and downs and ins and outs. And as, uh, I, if, I, if I could remember who, had the, who said the quote, I give attribution, I can't, but it's one of my favorites. We have no solutions, just trade-offs. Mm. And no solutions, just trade-offs. Just trade-offs. Oh, I love that from an economist standpoint that, that I am an economist. I actually think an economist said that, if I'm not mistaken. Don't hold me to it. It might have been Thomas Sowell, S-O-W-E-L-L. We may want to look that up with on our Google machine. We'll give him credit in the, in the <laughs> footnotes. But nonetheless, there were 50,000 stop-loss claims that were denied, meaning that's a whole lot of responsibility. It's either being shifted to an employer or an employee and that's a, a heavy weight. So you got to read the daggum contracts. Frank, what closing <laughs> words do you got for listeners? Well, my closing words are um, land sponsors, employers have a very serious challenges. There's a lot going on in the marketplace um, just to compete, just to stay viable as a company. And this employee benefit space is becoming increasingly complex. And there are increasing and escalating risks that are new and different. Um, they they just landed on the scene in the past year or two or three. So most employers probably haven't even heard about these, these new standards of different types of disclosures and, and requests for information and, and what must be had, what must be uh, secured in protecting even the data. We haven't talked about data breaches either. So there's a whole host of series of complexities, um, one bite at a time. We don't want people to be overwhelmed and say, that's just too big. I'll just take my chances. One bite at a time, a process to help people make intentional and intelligent decisions about how to uh, drive profit in their organization through the attraction, nurturing, and growing of talent, which employee benefits are a big part of, and uh, and mitigating those risks. Um, as you mentioned, uh, the greatest risk known to law. So um, uh, buckle up, buckaroo. Uh, get get people that can help you do this and uh, and take it a step at a time and move forward. Love that. One bite at a time. Got to move forward. Frank, thank you for your time and knowledge today. Always a pleasure, Justin. Thanks for inviting me. Be well.